0: How does a patient find his voice? Dr. Mark Lewis was one week into his oncology fellowship training when he self-diagnosed his rare cancer. In this episode of Your Stories, Dr. Lewis shares with his friend and colleague, Dr. Jonathan Bleeker, how the many roles he's played as caregiver, doctor, and patient help him navigate the cancer community.
1: So, John, I'm thrilled to have a conversation with you. In fact, this is our 10th anniversary of, of friendship because I met you right as we were starting our training as oncologists. So I'm always curious, and, and and frankly, as long as I've known you, I don't know your reasons for going into medicine.
2: When you are introduced to someone and they ask you what you do for a living, you tell them you're an oncologist, there's often a pause. There's often a, you know, furtive glance and a lack of eye contact, and almost you can feel the intrinsic sense to say that they're sorry because they, they envision themselves in that role and, and feel like that's not something they would like to do with their lives. So, as, as I look back, the why for me is twofold. For me, it's A, it's a, a desire to help people. But when I talk to high schoolers and I talk to folks who are thinking about going to medicine, I say, there's a lot of way to help people. Yeah, absolutely. You can be, you can be a counselor, a social worker, a pastor, a yoga instructor. Uh, so, B is the science and, and you have to love the science. And uh I'm the kind of kid who asked for a microscope for his 10th birthday so I could look at the water and the puddles outside my house. And so I was always drawn to that. So I think it's about finding a way to help people and matching it with something that engages you and motivates you. And for me, that's science. So that's, that's why I went into medicine. We talked about this being our you know, 10-year anniversary, so to speak, of starting fellowship. Certainly know some of your uh, backstory, your, your why and your how. Has your outlook on that changed over the past 10 years?
1: I thought basically my entire boyhood that I was going to go into the ministry. So I was a preacher's son. And not just that, I'm an only child. So this was, you know, I was it. I was the only potential heir to the throne, if you will. We moved to America uh, when I was eight. My father's immigration x-ray showed a really large mass in his chest. And one of the things we do as oncologists is break bad news. This was the case example of how not to break bad news. I watched my dad go through treatment and he died when I was 14 years old. So that's pretty much when I Threw myself, headlong into saying, okay, I'm going to be an oncologist. I just envisioned cancer as this monolithic foe. And I was like, yeah, coming for you, you know? And what really helped was my father's oncologist took me under his wing. So I was offered the opportunity to work in this clinic, which I'll be honest, at first was a little weird for me because it was this place where my dad had been treated. But on the plus side, all the people there knew that and were incredibly kind. From there, I decided, well, I want to go into medical school. right? And so that was sort of the... The chain that, that led me to that particular field. How did your
2: experience with your father and his bad news shape how you present that to
1: your patients yeah, today? Exactly. So I, just, I guess I just know how impersonal it can be. So basically what happened was we went down to the embassy in London. We lived in Edinburgh, Scotland. We went down to the embassy in London. We did the x-rays and then we basically just got this sort of call that oh, you know, uh, your x-ray is abnormal, so you should get that checked out. There was no sense of urgency. And I carry that with me now because I know a lot of the patients have gotten to my clinic through similar conversations. In our,
2: you know, 10 years of of practice, have you felt like your practice has changed during that
1: time? I think social media has a lot to do with it. As you know, I'm a patient myself. I have multiple endocrine neoplasia type one. It's a rare cancer syndrome. I found it, I think maybe the Day before I met you, <laughs> which I had no idea at the time this was going on. Right. So I had had horrible abdominal pain. And I, you know, it goes to show you the folly of self diagnosis. I thought I had appendicitis, I actually had high calcium. My father had had high calcium. There's only a few things that give you high calcium in successive generations. Right. And that's when everything sort of clicked and I had my eureka moment. And as you also know, I went to the internist and I told him my concerns. And he quite literally thought I was a hypochondriac. I mean, and in fairness to him, I, I went in there hot and heavy saying, hey, I'm an, an oncology fellow in my first week. I think I have a rare tumor syndrome. I it's a classic medical student exactly, syndrome exactly. where you
2: learn about something and the next day you wake up in a cold sweat and yeah. having, yes.
1: So I co-founded a Facebook group for patients with MEN syndromes because we're, we're very rare. So there's some incidence estimate that men one, my disease, probably somewhere around one in 30,000 uh, Americans. I didn't know anyone else there that had men one. And- what happened, I think, providentially was I met an Amy and one patient who was coming there. It's a wonderful woman. She's had, at this point, I think almost 30 surgeries between her pancreas and her parathyroids and her pituitary. I was talking to my endocrinologist, and uh, he said, you know, you really should meet someone. So we were introduced, and it was fairly early days of Facebook groups, and we, we founded one. And what I've seen is that patients are more and more self-advocating my point is, is that there's been this rise of patients having a voice in a manner that they had it before, but they didn't have quite the ability to amplify it. And I was saying to someone yesterday, I sort of feel like social media is the second coming of the Gutenberg press. And if my father was alive, my father never sent an email. He did not live to see email. He would be absolutely blown away by everything that's happened, not just in the last 10 years, but since 1994. I think that's also echoed in Even
2: folks who are not as savvy in the social media world, which I would say most of my patients are not. My patients are elderly from rural South Dakota. But expectations have changed. Yeah. It was not unusual when we started practice, when a patient would come in, even with a very early stage cancer, and assume it's the C word. Mm -hmm. There's not much that can be done. Right. I should sell the farm. Yeah. Quite literally. Yes. In 2019, that's not the case. I think that uh, through social media, through the the lay press, and to be quite frank, the progress that has been made, a tremendous amount of progress has been made. Let's not short shrift that. But now the expectation is, I saw this ad on television, and that's going to work for me. And you're right. We have to tap the brakes sometimes. We've had to change our mindset a little bit as as oncologists. It's a tightrope that we have to walk. And the thing about it is... The target moves, yes. right? The goalposts move in a very good way. That's why when when I think about my training and, and, and what we learned, it's not about the drugs. It's not about the surgeries. It's about the way you think. It's about thinking patterns. How do you deal with patients? How do you interpret new data? And that's what I think I've taken over the past ten years is if you think only about what you're doing today and that data and that drug, you're gonna get left
1: behind very quickly. The last thing I wanted to be able to tell you is I learned a lot from you in fellowship, sat next to one another in the, in the room, in our fellows' room, a little cubbyhole. But I also got the chance from time to time to l- listen to you talk to patients. You just have a way about you. You have a great way of sort of reading someone and then sort of shaping the news to them. Thank you for that. That's much appreciated. I've learned a
2: bunch from you as well. But your experience as a, as a patient and a physician and an advocate, it's very easy to not see that side of the table. And, and so to hear your experience and having heard you tell that story multiple times, it, it never gets old. There's always a new wrinkle. There's always something I can take away from that as well. And really, I think this is what it's all about, right, is we can learn about the next phase one drug, the next phase three trial, but it's working with alongside our patients and each other where we learn how to really care. I thank you for your help there
1: as well. Yeah, you got it, buddy.
0: Are you looking for a patient community? follow Conquer Cancer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And learn how to connect with support groups through our patient information website, cancer.net. Hearing the experiences of others can help people cope with the challenges cancer brings. Help others find these inspiring stories by leaving a review of the podcast and subscribe today on iTunes or Google Play to hear every new episode. Thanks for listening to your stories, Conquering Cancer.
1: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.